My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, amen. I'm glad you're with us here live and uh, on, uh, on internet. I never know the right word. That leaves me sometimes. I'm old-fashioned. I used to use just paper, but I finally got an iPad. So it makes uh, making new notes a lot easier, I can tell you that. But I'm so glad to be here this morning. We are back in the book of James, and today we're in James 1, 19 through 27. That's what you just heard read. And, uh, and so the, the whole theme of this book of James that we're using is uh, uh, practicing Christ in a hostile world. In other words, the world is not a friend of grace, someone said, to lead us on to God. They put that in a song somewhere, and it's true that, that uh, this world does not help us in the sense that it encourages us toward God. So we have to be encouraged to God by God himself. And then we have to live that out in the world. And so if we have God encouraging us to live like him... But we're in a world that is against that, and, and that's not every person. When we use that term to mean uh, the, the powers that are against God. Uh, when, that, when we live there, that we have, number one, we look a lot different. So sometimes you're going to get called names, and people are going to think you're really weird. And some people even say that uh, you are sinful because you are trying to live God's word. Because when, when truth is subjective to you, well, that's, that's your truth, or that's right for you. Um, then if you live that way, then Hitler's okay. Uh, that's just the, the logical conclusion. But our standard is in, found in the Word of God, and that's where we live. And when you do that, and someone else has their own reality, uh, you're going to look a little crazy to them. So James helps us in a very practical way, and I, I love the, the book for that. Uh, I, I like to be practical, but I also love to... Uh, just understand and, and get into all the heavenlies about who God is. But James helps us to be extremely practical. I call this sermon today, The Real McCoy. Now, um, we found this out uh, just doing a little bit of research. My wife was looking it up, looking up some things about uh, all of this. And we, we came on this phrase. So I was trying to come up with a phrase that would help us to understand what is reality in the Christian life. And I was amazed because I didn't know this story till I read this. There was a man named Elijah McCoy. He was born in 1844 
in Canada. His parents had been slaves in the United States. Through the Underground Railroad, they escaped. They went all the way to Canada, and Elijah was born there. At 16 years old, in 1860, he went to Scotland to the University of Edinburgh, and there became an engineer. Well, after his education, he came back, and he decided to live in North America, uh, the United States instead of Canada, and he moved to Michigan. But he couldn't find a job as, as in his engineering because of his uh, skin tone. Um, they're prejudiced in the North just like in the South, just for all of our friends. Just so you know that, prejudice is not limited to a race or location. All right, Everybody has prejudice, and, and God says it's sinful, so that's one of the things we have to, to uh, let God redeem us of. So he came back to live here, and since he couldn't find work in his profession, he got a job on the railway. Now back then, in the later 1800s, uh, they used steam engines, and he got a job as a fireman on the railroad. Now, that's not a guy who puts out fires. That's the guy who makes sure the fire keeps going. And they said that he would shovel, uh, any fireman would, a ton of coal an hour to keep that engine running with a scoop, a shovel, and he's just shoveling coal to keep that, that boiler going to make the steam to, to move the engine. But there was another problem. And that is that there was no automatic lubrication of the axles and wheels on these big steel machines. So every so many miles, and it wasn't that far, they'd have to stop the engine. And the fireman would get out with the oil can, and he'd go down and he would oil every moving part up and down that train on those axles and wheels. Then jump back in and keep shoveling coal, and they'd go a few more miles. Well, he was an engineer, and I, just like you, would get tired of having to stop shoveling coal to get down and oil everything. So he invented a cup that would drip oil where it needed to be automatically while the train was moving. He invented the device that, had, that made it possible that the engine didn't have to stop every so many miles to be relubricated. And so when that came out, wow, everybody wanted one. And as other rail, railroad companies started wanting to buy one, people started making copies of what he had invented, but they were never good enough. And so, guess what the railroads would ask for when they put in an order? We want the real McCoy. Remember, his name was Elijah McCoy. So the McCoy Cup, by the way, he invented ironing boards. He improved uh, leather for shoes, and he died a pauper because he would have to sell off his inventions of copyright um, sometimes to survive and to fund his research, and he died actually a pauper in Detroit, Michigan. But that, that term became synonymous with the real deal, the genuine article. And we still use it today, the real McCoy. Now, if you were my age, maybe you watched that as the TV show. There was the real McCoys on TV. Uh, maybe you hear, and there are some other stories of how the real McCoy phrase started. But this is probably the most valid one. But here's what I've learned, is that in the world, everybody is looking for the real McCoy. Everybody wants the genuine, not the substitute. I mean, sometimes I'll get the generic medicine. Occasionally, I grew up on the generic brand of food in the grocery store. Now, where I'm from, we had Winn-Dixie. I don't know if anybody here ever heard of Winn-Dixie. Oh, yeah, okay, I got at least one. Got, uh, and, man, we had Winn-Dixie brand at my house. And so when I started making my own money, I quit buying it, okay? I wanted the real deal. But then we had kids, so we went back to buying the generic, obviously, uh, because that's what you can afford, right? It helps save you some money. But the world is looking for the real McCoy in God. They want to know what God is real. Because most people, even if they proclaim they don't know 
if there is a God, are searching to find out, is there a God? And because there are so many offerings of who God is out there, they start searching for this God and that God and the other God. But the reality is there's only one God, there's only one true God. So if you accept that premise, which you don't have to, but if you accept the premise, there's only one real God, then the question becomes, if he created everything we see, would he want to communicate with that creation? Now, I don't know about you, but I've never known anybody that did any physical thing that didn't enjoy looking at it. I, I, I was a house painter when I was in college, helped pay my way through. And I would be riding around the town that I lived in. And if somebody was with me, I'd say, see that house? I helped paint that house. See that house? I painted that house. I'd just start pointing it out because I was proud of what I did. Wouldn't you think God would want to communicate with, communi uh, communicate with his creation? Well, if he did, then the question is, how do we know which God's communication is real? Right? You following my logic here so far? And the best way to tell is, if there's a God who could create and did create and wanted to communicate with his creation, would he give them a false communication? And obviously, if you accept all those premises I laid down, the answer is, of course he would. He'd give us a clear, a clear communication. He would not give us a bad communication. I'm not sure I said that first, sorry. And so then we start looking at all the people who claim this word came from God. And what you're looking for is, is it consistent in itself? Not does it agree with everything else, but does it agree with itself? And here is some startling news for some people that may hear this. The Bible is the only book that does not contradict itself in any way. It's the only one. Any other book, the Book of Mormon, uh, the teachings of Buddha, uh, the, the Quran, all of these contradict themselves internally. But Christianity, from front to back, the Bible is in agreement. Now that's even more miraculous when you realize it was not written by one human author. It was written by 40 plus human authors. And it wasn't written at one sitting. It was written over 12 to 1400 years. And yet all of those various kinds of people over a long period of time, and not all in the exact same geographical region, spread out a little bit, it all agrees. Man, if five people witness an accident, you can't get all of them to agree, can you? So because of, if you just are a logical person, you have to accept that the Bible is real because an ancient document that doesn't contradict itself, that old, with that many authors, and it has one central message that does not change, that makes this a miracle book, and it's at least worthy of looking at. Now, you only come to faith when God gives you faith. There's no way you can be saved without God's intervention because the Bible says you're dead in trespasses and sin. So God has to do a work in your heart and life to make you desire him. The Bible itself says there's none that seek after God, none who do righteousness, not even one. And so Jesus is the only man that came here, lived as a man, had a perfect life, and when he died, he didn't die for his own sin, but for my sin and your sin and the world's sin. And those who come to Christ, now the Bible starts to make sense. Now the Bible has a message for us. And here in the book of James, by the way, this is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. He lets us know what the real McCoy looks like in the Christian life, okay? And here's what I want you to take home with you as a statement. The Word, the Bible, forms our thinking. Our thinking forms our actions, and our actions create our life. In other words, if I think a certain way... 
and somebody brings me new information, and this way I realize is not the right way, I have to change the way my mind thinks to think in a new direction. Uh, last year, we vacationed in Scotland, and we vacationed with some folks that have been there before. So we let them drive everywhere, because they drive on the wrong side of the road, left side of the road. <laughs> it's right for them, but it, it, it's not the right side of the road, it's the, the left side of the road. And boy, I would jump sometimes. We'd go to make a turn and go, ah, oh, wait, I forgot. We're on the road. It's on the other side of the road now. Because it was different, and so we had to adjust our thinking quickly just in that simple little illustration. And so when you let the Word, according to Romans 1 and 12, 1 and 2, the chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the Word transforms our mind. It changes the way we think. You see, if I think I could jump off a building and I would not, the law of gravity would not operate, I jump off a building. But the reason I don't jump off a building is I believe in the law of gravity. I believe it's a fact, and I believe it's going to work every time it's tried. So I stay off of tall buildings or jumping off of them. And I don't think you can change my thinking on that <laughs> until after uh, I'm, I am uh, already dead and resurrect and have a new life, then possibly that, that, that won't bother me at all. But so when I change my thinking, then my actions change because now I think differently than I did before. And when my actions change, my life starts to look differently because I'm living a new life. You following me? Because the words of James mean nothing without the power of God. If God is not in this, as practical as James is, it becomes hopeless and pointless to us. It becomes a frustration because it's asking us to do things that we don't have the power to do. And the very first thing in this passage James tells us to do, I have trouble doing. And it's shut your mouth. Be quiet. Look what he says there in verse uh, 19. Know this, my beloved brethren. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. There's an old little saying, God gave you two ears and one mouth. He expects you to listen twice as much as you talk, right? Maybe your grandparents or uncles and aunts or mother and father told you that. Well, I, I, you know, when you, do, you don't say that in a bad way. Like, people get really upset. If you told somebody to literally, you said the words, shut up, that, that's offensive, right? So I'm going to say it in French to make it sound better. Femme la bouche. That means shut your mouth, okay? And that's what God is telling you. Be quiet. Quit talking out loud. I love, okay, I'm going to confess this, and I don't think it's bad, but I'm going to confess. I love watching cop shows. I love watching live PD. I don't know if you get to watch that, but my wife and I, we watch live PD. Now, got a lot of cops in my family. I'm, a, I'm a partially of Irish descent, and so half my family's in jail. The other half put them in jail because the cops and the crooks that are in my family. And, and, and so last night we had it on. You know, we were, we were pretty tired last night. We had it on. We're just laying there trying to recover from today's activities. And, and, and they pulled over a guy for some traffic thing. The guy that was driving the car got out. Yes, sir, no problem. Yes, sir, I understand. His wife got out, but lady in the back seat starts fidgeting around and moving around, and the police don't like you to do that when they're talking to you because they don't know what you're doing. And they said, ma'am, quit reaching over there. Ma'am, quit reaching over there. Don't reach in, don't reach in your, don't reach. But they pulled her out and put her in handcuffs. Well, then her husband gets out, and he's all upset. He's yelling, don't you mess with my woman and all this. And he said, if you do that again, and they bleeped it out, so I'm sure it was very colorful what he said. Next thing they know, he knows he's in handcuffs. And I, I told you all that to tell you, the quote of the cop. He said, boy, don't talk yourself into jail. <laughs> I thought about this morning's sermon. <laughs> you know, there are just some people talk themselves into trouble. It's a one-way paddle. You know, telephones, emails, 
tweets, those are one-way paddles. They'll paddle you into trouble, but they will not paddle you out. <laughs> and, we have, and the Bible's telling us here, man, be quiet. Don't talk so much. I like to say some people have no terminal facility. They, they can't stop if they wanted to. I tell you, I struggle to just be quiet. You know, a lot of arguments at end if one of you just be quiet. Just go, uh-huh, and go on your way. And I have struggled doing that. And so he says, don't be quick to speak, but be quick to listen. And that doesn't mean listen to, just to listen. He means to listen with the intent of learning something. He's coming to that real quickly. He says, be slow to anger. So many times when we're talking, man, everybody, they, in our world today, somebody will post a thing on a Facebook or, or an Instagram or something, and then everybody starts jumping on it. Like, you know, oh, i got to talk. And then, boy, once I put my opinion out there, I'll shut everybody up because, of course, they're going to agree with me. And there's just this fight that's on, even on the Internet all the time. And, and again, I, I will fall into an argument quick. In my family growing up, the one who could talk the loudest was the winner. You know what I mean? So we would, we would discuss something, man, we'd be so loud. And now I see anger in print like that all the time. Uh, even on social media, people are always angry. But listen to what the Bible says in verse 19. Anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, the Bible says there is a righteous anger. There's a time to be angry, but it says be angry and sin not. But this is talking about the anger of man. I'm mad because you don't agree with me. I'm mad because you have a different opinion than me. I'm mad because you don't do it my way. And the Bible says, man, be quiet. Just stop that. As a Christian, it's on us to go, okay. Because you know what? The truth is the truth whether I can convince you of that or not. And arguing in a bad way is not going to get change your mind now we can leave out the fact we, we can put in the facts but we, then we just got to let it go and let God help people understand and know the truth but notice what he says don't be angry he says put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness and that means teachableness it, it means I come to the attitude that I don't know everything and there might be something I can learn and I'll promise you if you go into life with that attitude You'll never meet a person or an event that you can't learn something from. I, I don't care what level of anything they are, you can learn from other people constantly if you just be quiet <laughs> and listen a bit. But notice what he says, listen to, in verse 21. Receive with meekness, teachableness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What does it mean by implanted word? We speak of Christ as the word of God. In John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And that word put on flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's in John 1. In Hebrews, the Bible says that God has spoken in these last days by his son. He's the final word. He is the one who, who's, his word is the only one that matters. And so when we receive the implanted word, that is Christ living in us. That God himself, the Holy Spirit, through the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, comes and lives with us. So we have the Trinity with us. And in the Old Testament, he promised that I'll take out your heart of stone, I'll put in a heart of flesh, that, that my law won't be written on paper that you have to obey, but it'll be written on your heart. 
And as the Holy Spirit lives with us, the very author of this book and every book in the Bible and the author of the Ten Commandments now puts it in as part of who you are. And so James says, listen, you've already got the implanted word. Christ lives in you through the Holy Spirit. Now, let the implanted word teach you and have its way. And so as you read the written word, the implanted word convinces you of the truth of the righteousness of God. Well, James goes on. I, I call that shut it, and that means your mouth, then see it. See what is there. Look what he says. In verse 22, he begins. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I have witnessed in my lifetime to a lot of people, and I have run into people that did not believe or trust Christ, but they knew more about the Bible than I did. Now, you will run into those people. There are people, listen, I've, I've got theology books of people that don't believe the Bible. You say, well, why would you have it? Because the guy did so much research trying to prove it wrong that he did the best research ever. But at the end, he said, well, I don't believe it, but this is what it says. There's literally a liberal theologian who said that at the end of all his study. He said, well, I still don't believe it, but this is what it says. Because it's truth, and you can't deny the truth of it, even if you don't agree with it. But the Bible says, be more than a hearer, be more than just hearing it, be a doer. Be someone who actually practices the Word of God. He says, because you're deceiving yourself if you only hear it, but you don't do it. There are a lot of people who come to church, they listen, and they leave, and that's the end of it. In fact, when, I hear, when I'm not preaching, I pull out a piece of paper, a notebook usually, and I take notes on what that guy's saying. Why? Because I know he's going to say something that's going to help me. And I want to put it down so I can remember it, so I can look at it later. Sometimes I go through old files and things, I go, wow, I forgot about this. This is amazing. And, and, and we don't do anything to make sure that God's Word digs into us. And James here compares it to somebody looking in a mirror. Now, listen, I'm working with the best I got, because this is all I got right up here, okay? And, uh, and, and so when I come up here, I never know, you know what it's going to look like. All of y'all are looking at me on camera. That does not make me feel comfortable, I can promise you. But the Bible says a man that listens but doesn't do is like a guy looks in the mirror and goes, good enough, and walks away. And then he just forgets what he looks like. But he says the doer of the one, is the one who stays looking into the mirror. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense, but listen to what he's saying down in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. James always comes back to acting. And here's what he's saying. We don't look into the world's mirror. We look into God's mirror. Because this word is the written record of the perfection of who God is. And as we keep looking at that example, what happens? We, we start wanting to look like God. They say that when a couple lives together long enough, they start looking alike. That would be great for me, bad for my wife. I understand that. But it's, there's a truth. You pick up on each other's mannerisms, way of speaking, ways of thinking. And it sounds like and looks like, you know, wow, they, they sound like one person. And that's what God intends for us. And the only way we get to know God is through his word. And so James here is telling us, keep looking into the word. Keep looking into this mirror. Why? Because what does a mirror do if, if, if I got wild hair? It takes a lot just to keep it from looking wild all the time. 
And when I first get up in the morning, man, it is really crazy. One of my grandchildren, their hair was like standing up. You know how little babies' hairs do? And mine wasn't. We got a picture of me holding them, and both of our hair is just like going crazy. So when I get up in the morning, it reveals my imperfection. And then I try to fix that. You following me? When you look into God's Word, you're looking at what God looks like, and you go, whoa, that doesn't quite look like me. They asked a famous sculptor one time how he made a sculpture of, I'm just going to say an elephant, I don't remember what it actually was. And he says, I get a big old piece of granite, and I chip away everything that doesn't look like an elephant. That's the description of what the Bible does for us. Because God is forming the image of Christ in us, and when we look into the mirror of his word, we go, wow, I don't look like Christ there. And God starts shaving off the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus and help us to look more like him. And so he's telling us, don't ever look away from this perfect word. And notice, when you're looking into this, you're not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. I can, listen, I can tell you all the things you ought to be doing. But if I'm not doing them, what good is that? Right? I, there are people who could tell you everything the Bible says you ought to do or not do and all that stuff, but they're not living that way. So what good is it to know what it says without acting on it? And James says when you begin to really see God for who he is and he begins to change your life, you become a doer of his word. And so not only do we shut it, then we have to see it. Third, we have to do it. And here's what he says to do, beginning in verse 26. If you think you're religious... And you don't bridle your tongue, you can't be quiet, <laughs> you're deceiving your heart. And your religion is worthless. There, listen, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody wants to share their opinion. Everybody wants you to do what they say you ought to be doing, right? There's a little saying, I'm not bossy, I just know what you ought to be doing. And there's a lot of people like that. And they're not legitimate and so, the first thing you got to do is bridle your tongue. Put, 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 pull that thing back. Slow it down. Stop. Just stop. I, I've watched kids in classrooms. My wife is, is a teacher, and I've seen them in Sunday school classes and school classrooms. The teacher says, be quiet. And then they start telling each other to be quiet. They make more, more noise going, shh, shh, to each other than they do when they're talking. No, be quiet means quit making noise. Stop. Just. And those people grow up, and they show up on shows like Live PD because they can't shut up, right? It's just, yakety, yakety, yakety. be quiet. Yakety. Yeah, but, but, but. We love the word but. Like, that changes everything. No, it doesn't, okay? And so here James says, so you pull that rein in on your tongue. Don't you be up there continually to talk in a wrong way. And he says, your religion is worthless. He said, but here's what pure and undefiled religion is. Look, notice what he says. To visit orphans uh, and widows in their affliction. Now, what I noticed there, it doesn't have anything to do with the clothes I'm wearing. Some of you may be offended because I'm wearing jeans up here. That, that may be so. Some people would be offended just because I don't have on a tie or a jacket. Some might be offended which side I part my hair on. This is just the only way it goes. I'm sorry, y'all. It just don't work any other way. Some might be offended because I don't shave all this off or I, or I don't grow more of it. I don't find any of that in this. Some people get offended because of the music I like to listen to. 
Didn't say anything in there about that either. Didn't say anything in there about what I wear, what I look like, but it does have something to say about what I do. And if I don't help other people who are helpless themselves, everything I talk about is worthless and vain. Now, I don't know about you, but that's convicting. That grabs me where I live and says, hey, buddy, what about you? Because I've got to live that out myself. Notice what he says at the very end there, too. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Does that mean that we achieve sinless perfection? No, it means don't wallow around in the things that are not of God. Don't wallow around in the things that are not of God. God, if, and, and if this is true for the individual, remember, then in the church, it's true of all of us together. This church ought to be about helping those who can't help themselves, right? Now, we do that in some ways. But, you know, we'll never do it perfectly, so we can always keep improving, right? And so, as a church, and guess what happens? The more you do what James says here and help those who can't help themselves, the orphans, the widows, and the helpless people of this world the more God helps you. In Proverbs, it says, those who lend to the poor lend to God. And God always pays back with interest. Do you believe that? Say amen if you believe that. I got one already. Amen. So as a church, we all look, well, how can we minister where we live? How can we get into this community and minister? We, during this crisis, we, we made sure we had plenty of food, and we offered that to the community and people to come and get food if they needed it, and, and we give away clothes. We have, we have uh, a lot of help that we give people. But listen, that's got to be individual with us, our neighbors, the people around us, our friends, our family, but it's also true of the church. And if the church lives that way, we're living the way James says, to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. You got an orphan or widow in their day, man, that was horrible. Did you know that in our country there's 450 kids in the foster care uh, system? 450,000, sorry, thank you, honey, my wife just helped me there. 450,000, 450, you go, wow, that's not many. 450,000 children in the foster care system. Did you know there's more churches than that in America? If every church took care of one foster kid, there would be no kids in need in this world, in this country, in that way. If one family in every church adopted a child out of the foster care system, it would cease to be needed. Orphans, widows, in their day, widows couldn't, they didn't, they didn't have the job opportunities that men had. And, and many times their family may be gone or dead. That's why in, in Timothy, Paul says, if a widow has a family, let the family take care of them. Don't put that burden on the church because the church took care of their widows because they were living out God's word. Because James was the pastor in the church in Jerusalem. And he said, dude, we got to be taking care of these widows. And so they did. But then they later had to make rules about it because everyone was a widow came and signed up whether she needed it or not. They said, if you've got, you got a son or, or somebody like that, let them take care of you and let the church take care of those who truly have need. And so God calls us to take care of those who truly have need. Well, what can you and I do it this week? How can we do it? First of all, Next time you want to talk, don't. <laughs> then ask yourself, do I have to say this? Do I have to? I talked so much, I got quiet yesterday. My wife said, are you okay? <laughs> Secondly, gaze into God's Word. And I would encourage you to get a notebook of any kind and start writing down 
out of the Bible the description of what God wants you to look like. Because you're writing down description of what God looks like. And then you know God wants me to look like Him. Now, is that possible? Yes, but it's not possible in our flesh. It's only possible as the Holy Spirit forms the image of Christ in our life. So we let all of our circumstances teach us and we receive this written word that allows us to interpret all the circumstances of our life and help make us more into the image of who Jesus is. And thirdly, I would say, act on that new mind, the mind of Christ. In Philippians 2, 1 through 11, he says, have this mind in you that is also in Christ Jesus. In other words, God gives us the mind of Christ. You can read Philippians chapter 2 and John chapter 13 and you will see the mind of Christ. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so in those final days on this earth before he went to the cross, he washed his disciples' feet, the, jo the job of the lowest slave. But in doing so, he gave an earthly picture of what he had done spiritually, that he had left heaven. He took off his, right, his godness, in a sense. He, he did not exercise being God when he was here as God. Okay, he was all God and all man all at the same time. And can you explain that better? No, it's a mystery how God did this. But he put that aside, and John, it says, he took off his robe, and he filled a water basin. When Jesus created the world, he filled the ocean basin. Now he fills a water basin. He took a towel, and he washed his disciples' feet. He served them. And when he was done, he put back on his robe. And in Hebrews, it says, Jesus put back on his deity, and sat down. And John, it says, he sat down. When, when the judge is ruling, we say this, the judge is seated. And the Bible says in Hebrews 1, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. The judge is seated. And in John, when he did the washing, he said, do you get it? Do you understand what I just did to you? Now you go do that for other people. In other words, take off your ego. Take off your position. Take off your, that's too dirty for me. And get on your knees and serve other people. And when you do that, you look like Christ. Let that mind be in you and act on that mind. Father God, in Jesus' name, we ask you to give us not only the understanding, but Lord, that we would be able to apply this in our life. Lord, I know none of us do it perfectly and, and that we all need your help. We all need to know you and to live in your grace and mercy. And so, Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, I ask that you make this real in our hearts and our minds and, Lord, also in our action, that we might be a pleasing picture of Christ, that we could be the real McCoys that, that serve you and help you because the world is not only looking for the right God, they're looking for the right followers of that God. And though, Lord, we are not ever perfect, Lord, we ought to be a good representation of who you are. And so we thank you for your mercy and grace and spirit that helps us in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you as you go from here and go to serve God. Because here, there, or in the air, I'll see you later.